You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie and USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, how you doing this week? Doing all right. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. We got the big streaming event coming up on Friday. I am very excited. I know that there was some controversy surrounding the streaming event. I don't know if you want to bring that up now or if you if you want to roll into that in a couple minutes. It's it's going to be your call as the grand poobah of the co-main event podcast Patreon. Listen, here's what I'll say. We very much intended to let the listeners decide which Gina Carano film we're going to watch. Either Haywire or In the Blood. Right. But then... In our defense... We did not know about Scorched Earth. New shit had come to light. That's right. A lot of ins and outs. Brent Brookhouse, uh, formerly of MMA Junkie and Bloody Elbow, uh, he alerted us to the existence of a film that just came out in February of this year called Scorched Earth. Uh, it looks like it's a tight 96 minutes, which is just perfect. And in this film, Gina Carano plays a, like, narrowly futuristic bounty hunter in a post-apocalyptic near future, which just just that combination of words that I just said makes you feel like, yep, I got to see this shit. In our defense, once you see the trailer uh-huh. for Scorched Earth, it leaves no other option on the table. No. Right? You can go to, what is it, imdb.com? Yeah, you can watch it on imdb. They got the trailer up there. It is really something. It's the kind of film that cries out. For a co-main event podcast Patreon streaming event. That's right. Absolutely cries out for it, Ben. A couple of guys to sit around drinking some soda pops, watching the film, and... Getting really scared for the cloud fall, right? That's that's right. Gotta watch out for that cloud fall. Uh, And we might just have a special guest with us, watching along and making hilarious wisecracks. I don't don't even know who that could be, so we'll find out. But the thing people are going to want to take note of is that... This will be a live streaming event only for the 5 and $10 patrons of the Co-Main Event Podcast. The million-dollar men and women. That's right. The people who make the magic happen. Now, if you're a $1 Patreon patron, you'll still get access to it. It'll just be later on, maybe the next week. I think we're going to do like a week later, then you can have access to it. If you want to get on, on it live, enjoy the action of Scorched Earth with us, uh, and this time... We're going to make it so that you can actually watch the the movie with us. You do not have to, like, queue it up yourself the way we did with the Fight Pass thing. You show up to watch the streaming event. We will give you both Scorched Earth and our own commentary. Woo, I have a hard time believing we have that technology, but um, I'm interested to find out if we can do it. Yeah. Once again, this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast is brought to you in part by our friends at Fulton and Rourke. Last week, we started to tell you about Palmetto, the newest limited reserve fragrance to be added to the Fulton and Rourke lineup. Pretty much everything they make is spectacular, and now that we've received our own samples of this new solid cologne, we've smelled it for ourselves, and it's excellent. Here, Ben, take a whiff. Well, that is, that's delightful, Chad. I, I'm really picking up the clean and citrusy top notes. Uh, pink pepper spice, and I want to say magnolia flower? I would be very much surprised if a heathen such as yourself has the educated nose to pick up those scents. But what we can say for sure is that Palmetto will help you smell better and feel mo- more confident as you go about your day. Yeah, like all FNR products, it comes packaged in a handy, refillable metal container and is equipped with a 30-day no-questions-asked returns policy. So if you don't like it, you can get your money back. You go to FultonandRourke.com today and scoop up some Palmetto while supplies last. As always, use the promo code CME at checkout to get 15% off your first order. And you know what? Now, now that's had a few moments to sink in. I really am getting the lingering notes of incense and cedar. Oh, will you stop, oh, Ben? Wow. How do the people who want to get in on the Patreon for this week's Scorched Earth live stream? How do they do that? You go to Patreon.com/slash/CoMadeEvent, become a five or a ten dollar Patreon patron of the CoMade Event podcast. Then you show up Friday night, eight p.m. in the one true time zone, and we are gonna see what hellish landscape the near future looks like 
which only Gina Carano can tame. We got music again this week from our friend The Fifth Element, a music producer from Fort Worth, Texas. If you like what you hear, you can check him out on Twitter at The Fifth Element, Facebook.com slash The Fifth Element, or SoundCloud.com slash The Fifth Element Official. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, UFC 224 is this weekend. Did you forget? It's okay if you forgot, but Amanda Nunez puts the women's bantamweight title on the line against Raquel Pennington, so that at least sounds like something worth remembering. And in round number two, what's really going on with Invicta FC, which staged an event last weekend where Sarah Kaufman and Pearl Gonzalez both got wins, and some poor soul damn near broke her finger clean off. And in round number three, Running head-to-head with UFC 224 on Saturday will be Bellator 199, featuring Ryan Bader's heavyweight Grand Prix fight against King Mo. Wait, don't turn off the podcast. What if we told you this one is free? All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. Do you want to know uh, what the tagline is of Scorched Earth? No, what is it? Bringing men to justice. It's her only reward. See, you can't with that kind of magic. Come on. It's like they wrote it just for us. Yep. Uh, we wanted to get into listener mail quickly this week, Ben, because we got a lot of good questions. So let's do that right now. This uh, first message comes to us from David Flannery. He writes, This weekend we have ourselves the soon-to-be 40-year-old dragon Leota Machida, who is 2-4 and four in his last six fights, versus the 41-year-old young dinosaur Vitor Belfort, who is also 2-4 and four in his last six fights, counting the overturned TKO loss to Kelvin Gastelum as a loss. I still don't completely know how I feel about this one. Could it be a fun fight? Absolutely. If slash when one of these two loses consciousness due to a shin to the dome or something of the like, Am I going to cringe and mutter, ouch, under my breath? Yep, sure am. Personally, I wouldn't be mad if the stakes on this one were that the loser retires and the winner also retires. Despite each of them winning their last fights respectively by decision, I'm just to the point where I would like to see them both move on and be done taking damage, so hopefully they aren't drooling into their Cheerios by the time they turn 60. What say you? Now, Ben, this is, uh, is this the co-main event? Over no. There? Oh, it's not even. This is it's the, the curtain jerk. Yeah, it kicks off the main card. Yeah, okay. I don't have that in front of me. So You got this, and then John Lineker, Brian Kelleher, then Mackenzie Dern, Amanda Cooper, uh, Jacques Array, and Kelvin Gastelum is your so, co-main event. You know, UFC 224 is the sort of card that doesn't jump off the screen at you in terms of uh, what you might want to plunk down your 65 bones to watch over there on pay-per-view. But, like, legitimately some quote-unquote fun or interesting fights on this card. It is one of those fight cards, though, where if I just read off the every fight on the main card and told you to guess what nation it was happening in, <laughs> I feel like you'd be able to guess. I would be able to guess. And also, if you told me to guess whether or not it was a pay-per-view card or on Fox Sports 1, I might have a hard time. Okay. Which is maybe not the biggest compliment. But let's talk about Vitor Belfort versus Lyoto Machida, which, as Mr. Flannery points out, is... Is it one we have mixed emotions about? Yeah, the depression quotient possibility is especially high on this one because, like he says, it's one where you would be fine with seeing either the winner or the loser retire afterwards. And it seems like maybe the best thing you could have going for it is that what if they don't have the juice in it anymore to really hurt each other? Like the way the thing we used to say about these kind of like Bellator senior tour things where it's like, well, hey, as long as you have them fight other old guys – and then they're relatively safe. Nobody's going to get hurt too bad. Is that what's going on here? Did you just say they don't have the juice in them to really hurt each you, other? You, no, you question my choice of words? No pun intended, I assume? No, they I don't have the D-E-D-H-E-A? I, I, I mean, I agree with you. I guess if we're going to have these guys soldier on, I would rather have Vitor Belfort fight Leota Machida uh, rather than like sacrifice either, either of these guys to another young lion on his way up. Uh and I don't know, man, like, you know, Vitor Belfort obviously became the poster child for uh, the TRT era in the sport. Uh, has As his uh, MMA career has gone on, it has only gotten stranger uh, from the time that he showed up on the scene as a yoked up 19-year-old blitzing everybody with his fast hands. Uh, it's just gotten stranger and stranger. He obviously suffered some uh, unthinkable personal tragedy uh, in the, in the middle of that. Uh, he's, he's an odd figure in the landscape of the sport at this point, And obviously still very popular down there in Brazil. And then on the other side of the octagon, you got Leoto Machida, uh, another guy who has sort of a singular profile in this sport, 
uh, as a big time fan favorite, a guy who we thought was maybe going to be the standard bearer of the light heavyweight division there for a little while. Things obviously didn't quite work out, you know, in, in the, in that way. Uh, so you got two, two kind of unique Brazilian legends in a way. And when you talk about a fight to, to kick off the UFC 224 pay-per-view main card, like it seems like a, a solid choice to me. It does seem like a really interesting stylistic matchup, and a part of me wishes that it were happening in a different era, because I I am curious to kind of see how, especially at this point, how their styles are going to match up. Like, I, I have to give the edge here to Lyoto Machida. You'd think. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, though, what if Vitor Belfort goes out there, pulls off some, you know, the the one kind of thing you could say about Vitor Belfort is that Early in the fight especially, he's always capable of pulling off one awesome move. He, he can do that at any time. Yeah. Uh, you know, you get him, especially these days, you get him into the second and third round, you're probably pretty safe. But first two minutes, maybe Vitor Belfort goes out there, pulls off something awesome, knocks out Leota Machida, uh, and then says, you know what? I got five more years left in me. <laughs> like, is the best possible outcome that, regardless of who wins, who loses, Everybody can just kind of go home feeling good, feeling like we're we're closing some books up here. Yeah, but do we really think that that would ever happen? Like, as long as we don't get into a double knockout or a draw, like one of these guys is going to win. And we have talked about at length on the podcast before the impossibility of walking away from this sport, either feeling like a loser because you're coming off of a loss or but because you just uh, notched a big win and then you think, I still got it. I got I to soldier on. So... I don't know that we're going to get dueling retirements here. I don't yeah. know that we should get our hopes up for that. No. Next question this week comes to us from Andrew Pearson. He writes, I got the bat signal that was your email uh, about listener mail. So I booted up my browser to see what fights are coming up. Surprisingly, it was Bellator 199 that caught my eye. John Fitch is debuting against Paul Daly, a big boost to Bellator's most stacked division. How does John Fitch do against Paul Daly? And will he find himself title fight adjacent with a win? Well, this seems like exactly the kind of fight we've seen both John Fitch and Paul Daly in before when you think about how their style is going to match up, right? Yeah, it seems like something of a rerun, right? Paul Daly's going to want to stand there and bang. John Fitch going to want to take him down and keep him there. Uh, if he's successful in taking him down and keeping him there, Paul Daly is probably going to act aggrieved about it as if this is somehow outside the rules. Uh, and then John Fitch is going to uh, – if, if John Fitch can't get him down on the ground, then John Fitch is probably going to get knocked out. Yeah, here's my question about 40-year-old Jonathan Parker Fish. Fitch. I'm sorry. Uh, back in the 2013, 2014, maybe all the way back to 2011 era when John Fitch was going 1-3-1, and one, getting, getting kind of uh, drummed out of the UFC and headed over to World Series of Fighting, and it seemed like maybe his best days were behind him. You'd look at this and you'd think, man, I, I give Paul Daly a good shot here. Does it mean anything to you, Ben, that John Fitch is now on a four-fight win streak to close out his career in World Series of Fighting and then notch his first win uh, in the PFL. And he's got wins over Yushin Okami, Jake Shields, and Brian Foster during that run. Like, does that make you feel like, hey, John Fitch is back, he's the guy to bet on here? Or do you still think, uh, you know, we're probably going to see John Fitch get stopped? You know, I don't know if I would go so far as to say John Fitch is back or he's you know back on, on near the top of the welterweight division. But I do think a guy like Paul Daly is a really winnable fight for him. Just because everybody knows if you have some takedowns in your back pocket, you're going to want to use them against Paul Daly. And if you can do that, then you can probably beat him. If you can't do that, then you're in a lot of damn trouble. Unless you're Nick Diaz. Right. Uh, so, I... I have no problem picturing him going out there and winning this fight. I mean, against Paul Daly, a guy who hits hard, uh, if he can manage to stop one takedown or just take advantage of every round starting on the feet, then who knows? He might be able to catch you and knock you out. I, I'd never say that that's outside the realm of possibility. But John Fitz should win this fight. Now, as far as what that is going to mean long term, I don't know. Like, is is he title fight adjacent, as this question asks, if he if he goes out there and beats Paul Daly? I mean, in Bellator, yeah, given what's going on there right now. Right. Like, uh, I mean, you if you're Bellator, you could do a lot worse with than John Fitch versus Rory McDonald, right? Even though John, John Fitch is an L statesman at this point, a guy that maybe we don't know, you know, what we're going to get from him from a fight to fight basis. And clearly, uh, you would have to put all the money you had in your pocket down on Rory McDonald if you were so inclined to, to make a bet on that fight if they actually booked it. But, it, but like, 
as we've said a lot of times before, like you're dealing with a, a different uh, set of expectations for Bellator than you are with the UFC. And you see, a, you know, Roy McDonald, one of the top welterweights in the world. John Fitch, a guy who once upon a time was one of the top welterweights in the world. Two names, you know, two faces you recognize. Uh, you know, it's not going to do dynamite ratings for Bellator, but it's also not too shabby. So, yeah, th- that would be fine. We talked a little bit, Ben, about how the UFC 224 card uh, might be kind of sneaky. You look at this Bellator 199 card, and it kind of seems like the same thing, right? Because you got Ryan Bader versus King Mo at the top of it, but then you got John Fitch versus Paul Daly, which, yeah, probably would watch. Czech Congo's on the card, which could go any number of different ways. You need to get some chips from the... <laughs> From the kitchen, go. you might want to do that. But you also got Aaron Pico also on this thing, uh, fighting another person without a uh, without a Wikipedia page, trying to take the next step towards proving that he was the prospect that we thought he was on his way up to the big leagues. Uh, so, like, with this card going head-to-head with the UFC, if you don't want to plunk down the money for UFC 224, like, you're not shit out of luck. Like, Bellator 199, it might make a, a, a pleasing substitute, I would think. True, but when you mention... King Mo versus Ryan Bader, John Fitch versus Paul Daly, and Czech Congo just in existence. You have the potential for three long bouts. It could be a grind, my friend. Yes. It will also be free. That's true. Live and free over on the Paramount Network. Okay. So, I mean, I don't know if you want to say you get what you pay for, but I'm just saying <laughs> if, you, if you're sitting at home, maybe things or times are a little tight. You don't feel like you can lay down the cash for UFC 224. I would think you could plug into Bellator 199 and not feel like you had totally been kicked to the curb by the rest of the MMA universe. True. Uh, You'd still be having your own kind of fun. Next question this week comes from uh, Christopher Rudier. He writes, Kyoji Horiguchi knocking dudes out with literally one punch. He's a young, talented, and exciting fighter. Here's the catch. There's no chance that the UFC will ever match the money he's getting from Ryzen to fight in the UFC in Dana White's least favorite division. I'm torn. On one hand, I'm always happy to see fighters shop around to get paid what they're actually worth. On the other hand, I really want to see how a more developed Horiguchi would do against the best fighters at 125. Help me solve this deep internal conflict. Yeah, so Ben... Uh, Kyoji Horiguchi knocked out Ian McCall. Uh, quick and easy night of work for the Gooch uh, over there. This is part of the uh, Ryzen Grand Prix, right? Is a tournament? We're running a tournament over there in Ryzen, are we not? Uh, I don't know if this is part of a tournament. Oh, I is thought it? it was. I thought it was. Uh, I mean, Ian McCall was in the other tournament. But oh, I don't this know if is this not was, part of it? I don't know if this. He was eliminated in that tournament, right? I don't know. I don't know, man. Here's the thing with Kyoji Horiguchi, I feel like. For one thing, you've already seen him against Demetrius Johnson, and so it's like if you're holding out hope, like maybe he's the guy to beat Demetrius Johnson. No, um, he beat everybody else pretty much, but like not Demetrius Johnson. So, isn't it, in a way, isn't it kind of like you you should leave him over there in Ryzen, where like the, the Japanese fans are going to appreciate him a lot more than he would be appreciated if he were just another guy. Uh, in the UFC, uh, in in any division in the UFC. So isn't it like a better thing for him, a better thing for just like spreading out kind of the parody in MMA? Like, it, isn't it better off, even if we don't get to see him fight, you know, some of the fights we would like to see over in the UFC, isn't MMA as a whole, as the world, better for it being this way? Uh, yeah, I think you're probably right about that. I mean... The one caveat to that Demetrius Johnson loss was that Horiguchi was still relatively green. Uh, he had had 17 fights in his career, but he was still a young guy. He'd only been in the UFC for four previous fights before he fought Demetrius Johnson and clearly has won every fight since then and has continued to develop. So uh, I don't know that he's necessarily a proven commodity. I don't know that you can say if he fought Demetrius Johnson 100 times that Demetrius Johnson would win every time. So there is part of me that's like, oh, man, you know, he's one of the top – uh, 125 pound fighters in the world. I wish he were still around to at least give Demetrius Johnson another run for his money. On the other hand, I think you make a super valid point, and it seems like among the hardcore mixed martial arts fans, particularly the ones that maybe don't have children and can still stay up all night, uh, Ryzen is starting to pick up some mom- some momentum. Don't yeah. you think? Like, there's people out there who are saying uh, Ryzen might be the best thing going right now in in MMA because. You know, you are getting relatively competitive fights, at least on paper, between guys like Horiguchi and McCall. You're getting a, a fresh mixture of uh, JMMA, 
which is everyone knows as a different art direction. Yeah. Let's say a giant couple of noodles is going to show up. Right. Then you get in, in, uh, in the UFC, which obviously appeals to a lot of people. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's, it's positive, as you said, just to have depth all over the world and to have, let's say, a menu of programming that can offer you some different tastes, some different experiences. I think that all that is very good, although I think you can tell from the fact that I didn't know if Horaguchi and McCall was part of a tournament that uh, for a lot of different reasons, I'm still pretty American-centric in, in my viewing. Uh, but on the other hand, like, get on with your bad self, Ryzen. Right. I'm I mean, into it. Plus, uh, and I just feel like for Horaguchi's sake, while there's a part of me that would like to be like, okay, bring him back to the UFC and you can fantasy match make a whole lot of fun fights there. But also, the UFC is going to look at him and see just like another UFC fight night guy. They're going to see right. like, okay, he's he's on Fox Sports after the ad for Farmers Only. Right. Uh, and in Ryzen, he's a capital G guy. Yeah. Feels like it's better for him to be over there. Oh no, yeah, I I think completely, and in that uh, isn't that another compliment to, to Ryzen, sort of, and like something of a detriment to the UFC that they wouldn't think of a guy like Kyoji Horiguchi as maybe a, a a main event star or have that kind of potential. Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense just like to the the different demographics that they're playing to that Ryzen would look at Kyoji Horiguchi and feel like, okay, we have somebody that people are actually going to care about, and the UFC would be like, I don't know, we're looking for another Conor McGregor. And anything else, we're not really that interested. Uh, let's do this question next because it it it, uh, it may be sort of somewhat related from Paul Scholes, who writes, "Care to discuss the awesomeness that is the One FC Championship app streaming all their events live with no geo blocking? Sound off! This is pretty huge, right? Like, yeah, this thanks is- for, for uh, one of the most successful footballers in history, according to Wikipedia, Paul Scholes. Paul Scholes, who uh, sitting around watching fights from One FC on his app." Yeah, on his phone app. But Sitting this is in, uh, this is legitimately a Manchester. kind of a, a good and big move for One FC, right? Like, uh, like I just said, uh, personally, I because of my job and some other things have like a very American centric view of MMA, and with the UFC doing 150 shows a year, it's hard to really have the find the time and energy to focus on other stuff. But here you got one. Uh, like giving you the perfect opportunity, right? With their phone app, no geo blocking. Uh, you can watch it all. Like this is the kind of thing that when I see it pop up on my uh, MMA news feed, I think, oh, well, that's interesting. Like that might be something I would want to check out. Is it just called the shit eating wild man app? Yes. Because yeah. that's what you have to be. Yep. Four out of five stars from most shit eating wild. There's a men. good chance that if you are watching these fights on this app, you're also peeking over the top of your phone every once in a while to check out the constant Russian MMA that's going on on your laptop. Yeah, but I think that's right. But don't you think that this is the kind of thing that more MMA promotions could, uh, at least in theory, benefit from? Yes. When you have this super crowded landscape, like uh, not only experimenting with new ways to deliver their fights to people, but also just sort of like making all of their content so available. Right. Well, you know, I saw this thing uh, making the rounds on Twitter uh, like yesterday and today about – the the NBA's approach to like trying to make it so that people will share the highlights more, like trying to get their highlights out on social media, because feeling like okay, it's not going to be like a substitute for people watching the games. You're just going to get more people in on the games, and how this is like a relatively novel approach for a major pro sports league, and how like one of the things that we've complained about with the UFC in the past, where it's like stop making it more difficult for people to see your product. Like the more people see it, the more people might become fans and want to tune into this stuff. You have kind of a a warped idea of how this works, and it seems like this is embracing that, just being like, all right, make it easier, make it just so that we're eliminating barriers that people have to watching our stuff, and then who knows the next thing you know, maybe we have some more fans as a result. I mean, I think that has to be the way that this moves if you want to actually gain viewers rather than make it so it's just like, you have to be the hardest of the hardcore willing to stay up at 2 a.m. to watch some cable TV shit. Right, yeah. No, I, I think it seems like a big deal, and that's why I, I said what I said before, just like uh, because the landscape is so crowded, because things can be so confusing, because there's so many uh, different factors like uh, jockeying for your attention, like this seems awesome to me that that if you want to follow uh, one, you got it all right there on your app. And like it seems like making it as easy as possible for me as a consumer to keep track of what's going on in your fighting organization is a good thing. So when you're at like some child's dance recital, you can just pull up Fuck your yeah. app. Hell yes. 
Uh, let's do this one from Joe Mosqueda, who writes, now that you guys are wrestling promoters, ha <laughs> thanks, Joe. Uh, this past weekend's first ever event from Treasure State Wrestling. That's right. Our strategic partnership with Defy out of Seattle. They came to Missoula, put on a hell of a show. Uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. It was like, uh, couldn't have gone off better, frankly. So here's the rest of Joe's question. Can you describe some of the similarities and differences between pro wrestling and MMA? Also fighters and wrestlers. The more I watch both, the more similarities I see. Pay, revenue sharing, travel, storylines, draws, heels, etc. Now, Ben, I know, you know, we had a uh, former UFC fighter and current top independent professional wrestler, Matt Riddle, in town this past weekend, took the L, unfortunately, against hometown hero, Travis Flip Gordon. Uh, but I know that you got to talk to him after the event, uh, cause you're always working. You're That's always right. playing an angle. You're out here interviewing Matt Riddle for the even, MMA junkie. Even with a drink in one hand. Still doing it. And I know that he said some kind of interesting stuff about the two worlds that, that he now straddles when both feet now in professional wrestling, but as a former UFC fighter. Why don't you lay that on this? Because okay, yeah. I thought it was enlightening. This, yeah, this is a really good quote from Matt Riddle. Where I asked him basically about uh, what do you feel like is the difference between the the fans, your relationship to the fans as a wrestler as it was to a, a pro fighter. Um, he said this. Wrestling fans are like people going to see Shakespeare. They come, they have a favorite character, they're invested in the story, and they know it's a story. They're all about how well you play your part, whatever that part is. MMA fans are more like people going to the Coliseum. They don't care whether you kill the tiger or the tiger kills you. All they know is somebody's going to die today. That's how it feels when you're in the UFC. Nobody gives a fuck about you. You could be fighting in your hometown, and if you get knocked out, the crowd's still going to roar. Wow. Yeah. That's some some uh, some learned stuff there from Matt Riddle. Yeah, and some the of the professor Matt Riddle. I feel like you could say a little bit like he exited MMA with kind of like a bad taste in his mouth over it over how everything went down. Uh and he seems just generally much happier as a pro wrestler and seems to really enjoy that life and the the work. And a lot of the stuff he said to me about the differences and about what he liked about it made a lot of sense. For instance, he talks about how uh Cutting weight was just like the worst part of his life, and you'd have to do it a few times a year. And to not have to ever think about doing that again feels like a great gift, like a great weight has been lifted. And also to get to feel like instead of, you know, I'm going to work three or four times a year and people are going to base all their opinions off of me based on what they see those three or four times a year – I'm going to work several times a weekend. Right. I thought that was interesting that like he feels jazzed, even though he does a lot of travel. I imagine it's, it's like a pretty grueling lifestyle, but at the same time he gets to perform, you know, three or four times a week, every single weekend. Uh, and he seemed to indicate that that was more enjoyable to him than like doing a fight camp and then showing up to fight just a couple of times a year. Like I thought that was pretty interesting that as an athlete, uh, you know, he, I don't think it's too surprising that he would get a charge out of going out there to perform in front of people. And so like the, because he gets to do that so much more frequently in professional wrestling, like that, that's something he really appreciates. And I don't know that I would have thought of that as a thing. Right. And then, but it makes perfect sense to hear him say it. Yeah. Well, and I don't know, as far as like the, the differences and the similarities, we've talked before about how people used to assume that there was a big crossover between MMA and boxing. And there is some crossover appeal, some crossover audience, but that, there's a lot more crossover, it seems, between MMA and pro wrestling and that there's a lot more like similarities in, in how the businesses work. Uh, but I also feel like when you look at who's imitating who, these days it seems like it's MMA following pro wrestling more, doesn't it? Like there was a time – Right, and that's like a 180-degree switch from what you might have had a couple years ago. Yeah, like like four or five years ago back when it was like The Undertaker's going to be out there trying to pull off a, a damn Oma Plata – uh, or was it Gogo Plata that the Undertaker? Wait, would you do? mean what does he call it? Like the Dragon's Gate? <laughs> like he has some name for it. That's like some Eddie Bravo shit there, uh, naming all your moves, weird shit. But like it seemed like at the, you know there uh, there was a whole thing where it seemed like the WWE was trying to look a little bit more like MMA and try to incorporate some of that stuff, uh, maybe make it a little more realistic looking. Um, and then now it seems like at least what the fighters are doing to try to get attention for themselves is more WWE style theatrics. Yeah. I mean, there's no question that MMA has impacted the way professional wrestlers work, right? They, you know, you see a lot more running knees, you see a lot more low kicks. Uh, and despite the fact that it's still like somewhat theatrical looking, like you see them trying to incorporate that be because that's what, that's what people watch. And sometimes, you know, if there's a, a notable exchange in an MMA fight, you'll see professional wrestlers kind of ape it for effect just after that in a, in a professional wrestling match. Uh, but you're right now. It seems like, uh, 
maybe because the, you know things the salad days may not be upon us anymore in, in mixed martial arts or because mixed martial arts is going through this sort of lull period like i do think you see more dudes like colby covington kind of trying to uh to make themselves into these sort of larger than life either good guy or bad guy personas clearly that worked for for conor mcgregor although you know i would say and i think this is true in wrestling also like one of the most important aspects of that, even if you are trying to play a character, uh, is like legitimacy and believability, right? One of the reasons why it works so well for Conor McGregor, uh, excuse me, Conor McGregor, is that it feels so effortless coming from him a lot of the time. You know, it just feels like that's who Conor McGregor really is turned up to 11 or 12 on the volume scale. Whereas I think if you get a guy like Colby Covington, it seems a little bit more contrived. And so, you know, I think that relationship exists as well. But I think you're actually absolutely right that, uh, the two arts, let's go ahead and call them arts, uh, certainly affect each other and change and shape each other and have this weird, like almost love hate relationship. Here's a weird question for you before we close this one out. Say one of your kids, matter of fact, say all your kids, they come to you and they say, dad, we've all thought it over and we've all decided to go into either pro wrestling or MMA which one would you want them to go into more? Well, I would say wrestling because then we would have an awesome, like, Von Erich-style family Yeah, that worked of out wrestlers. for them. That worked out really well for them, didn't it? Okay, well, you don't have to, you don't have to point that out. We could do it without the, the curse, right? <laughs> I mean, they're both pretty destructive. Like, I would be less happy than if all three of them said, hey, Dad, we're going to start an accounting firm together. <laughs> like I would, as a parent, I would feel a little bit better about that. Three-piece uh, bluegrass band? Yes, yeah, there you go. We're, we've already brainstormed potentially two better options for my children. <laughs> Although I, I also don't know if you've ever seen my children like try to throw a ball or whatever, but it's possible we don't have the next three Bo Jacksons coming up in this house. Well, that's maybe it's because their father doesn't believe in them. There, I said it. Ouch, wow. Well, well now we're going to have to take some time to let that sink in. But that's going to do it for Listener Mail. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. Uh, the newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, Saturday night, UFC 224 comes to us live from Rio de Janeiro. It kicks off a string of international events for the UFC. They'll be going to Chile after this one and then heading over there for uh, the Liverpool-England event uh, featuring Stephen Thompson versus Darren Till. And your main event for Saturday night is women's bantamweight champion Amanda Nunez taking on Raquel Pennington, uh, which seems like a fine fight. I would describe it as perfectly serviceable. The enthusiasm is just brimming out of your voice right now. I don't know that it necessarily makes for a blockbuster uh, pay-per-view main event, but you'll have Amanda Nunez at least uh, trying to make her third successful title defense uh, since women winning the women's 135-pound title. What should the kids at home look for at UFC 224? Well, I was trying to think if there's another example of this where Raquel Pennington's last fight was the one against Misha Tate, where Misha Tate retired right afterwards, right? Uh, that was November 2016, and then kind of like inactive. And, you know, it's not like you can you can look at a record and see, okay, she has burnished some, some credibility for herself. Right. Four-fight winning streak. Four, four straight wins. Uh, Betch Cohea, Jessica Andrade, Elizabeth Phillips, and then Misha Tate. Clearly, uh, there's one jewel right. on that streak. But, yeah, in a division that is still not, not the deepest division out there, that's pretty good. Right, and yet I... Like, I don't know if I can recall another instance where it was somebody where, you know, they had a good win streak, but it wasn't exactly like, not an ex-champ, not like a rivalry match or anything, but where 
She's been gone for so long and then comes right back in for a title fight. Like, it seems like there's really no chance to kind of build up momentum for her. I think a lot of people probably look at this card and go, oh, yeah, Raquel Pennington. I remember getting vaguely excited or thinking maybe Raquel Pennington is really going to uh, turn into something. Uh, and yet, like, it's a lot of that has cooled just because she's been off for so long and then now going straight into a title fight. Like, it kind of seems like, I don't know if this is the UFC saying, we give up with what's going on here or like we give up for now uh, or we're not super excited about Amanda Nunez as, as our champion. So whatever, we'll just throw any old fight or just feeling like that's the state of the division where this is the best thing you can possibly do right now. Cause it doesn't feel like there's a, a huge effort going on here. Yeah. It doesn't feel like there's a huge effort. And I think that the matchmaking maybe, as you said, speaks to sort of a lack of depth at 135 pounds, uh, for for women right now, and it's certainly like a, a it's a notable switch from the recent history of Amanda Nunez, right? Because she had this huge 2016 where she beat both Misha Tate and Ronda Rousey, and then circled back to kind of make a Valentina Shevchenko sandwich around those two wins because she beat Valentina Shevchenko at UFC 196 and then beat her again, uh, although via split decision in their rematch at UFC 215. So she's had like a string. Uh, of fairly high profile opponents. Shevchenko obviously now uh, moving down to women's flyweight prior to the first Shevchenko fight. Nunez fought Sarah McMahon. So like some known names, right? She fought Kat Zingano, Shayna Baszler. And not, it's not that Raquel Pennington doesn't fit the mold of those people. Like clearly she's not Ronda Rousey or Misha Tate, but at the same time, it does feel like uh, we have a lack of depth in the women's bantamweight division. And there was sort of a, well, Raquel Pennington seems like as good as anyone kind of ethos behind making this fight. Yeah. Well, and well, remember for a while there, we weren't going to have uh, Amanda Nunes do any more main event, any more uh, fight cards, any more pay-per-views. Couldn't trust her to, to do that. And then gave up on that kind of quickly. Uh, so the, the UFC brass was like, how many fight cards do we have? Wait a second. Yeah, what? We, we did not. We did not take into account the math here. I guess we do actually need her to go down there and do that. Uh, you look at this fight card as a whole, and it seems like one of those that you can't possibly sell on any one fight. So is that the the thinking here? Like, okay, if you're going to have her main event, it might as well be on a fight card where it's kind of overall solid, but you need some gold on the poster. Why not? Right. Yeah. Well, in some ways, it feels like we're spinning our wheels a little bit until July 7th, at least to me. You have a fairly... Uh, Anonymous is probably not, not the right word, but on the heels of UFC 224, we're going to get Damian, uh, Damian Maya versus Kamaru Usman. Now that one be, I'm actually looking forward Well, to. that's going to be a rad fight, but it's, it's not one that is going to do huge numbers. And then Steven Thompson against Darren Till, kind of the same thing. You get into, uh, Jimmy Rivera against Marlon Moraes. And then UFC 225, another one kind of rad for the hard course, right? It's the rematch between Robert Whitaker and Yoel Romero. You're also going to get CM Punk on that card, and then you got Rafael Dos Santos and Colby Covington. But it's just like we have a string of these events leading up to uh, what figures to be the crown jewel maybe of the first half of 2018 for the UFC. Obviously, the heavyweight title fight between Steve Miocic and Daniel Cormier at UFC 226 that first week of July. Uh, but other than that, it just seems like kind of the same old story with the UFC programming, where it's like we have so many events that uh, – you can't just have one fight card where Stephen Thompson and Darren Till and Cowboy Cerrone and Damian Maya and Kamaru Usman uh, and Raquel Pennington and Amanda Nunez all fight. You got to space them out over like two or three months. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. It, it feels like like if you're saying that we're sitting here spinning our wheels until then, is is that doable? Like, is that something where? If you don't build up a little bit of like a, a head of steam going into stuff like that, you risk letting it get ignored. Like this, I guess this is a, a similar question that we've been asking just about like product in general. Like, does it have to be something that brings people back every single time you have it on TV, or can you successfully make it into like a, a sports product where, hey, we understand you're going to ignore a good portion of this yeah. stuff, uh, but we still feel like. It will you will re retain enough awareness of it to come back for the really big stuff. Yeah, and like it does feel like we are dealing with a different philosophy or a different strategy uh, from the UFC than we were 
you know, before the advent of the Fox deal, uh, where every, every single thing felt like an event. Now I think you're right. It very much feels like, uh, if not an obligation, it feels like we're going to staff all of these events. Some of them are going to do okay. Some of them are going to do poorly. Uh, we're going to pocket the money that we get from the, uh, from the, the broadcast network. We're going to get the advertising money. And then we're going to kind of plan on these big quote unquote tentpole events like UFC 226 to pop the buy rate up. Uh, and for the rest of it, we're just going to kind of do the best we can, which obviously has been a big adjustment for a lot of people who have watched the sport for a long time. Uh, but you know, I don't know that it's necessarily terrible. And I don't know at this point if there's anything you can do to kind of, uh, turn the aircraft carrier around since we're a long ways down this road at this point, And it doesn't seem like, uh, it doesn't seem like we're going back to stronger yet fewer cards. So here we are. Now, if you, if it were not in any way related to your job, is UFC 224 worth your money just as a private citizen, Chad Dundas? Boy, like not in today's economy, <laughs> right? Rimshot, it would be, there would be all, this would be a tough sell, right? Wouldn't it? Or would you line up like, for it? I feel like all around, it's, it kind of gets me on just like the whole full package of it all. Because Vitor Belfort, Leota Machida, yeah, it gonna make me sad, but maybe it's the kind of sad I'm into as a fight fan. <laughs> uh, John Lenneker, Brian Kelleher, okay, yeah. Uh, Mackenzie Dern's ongoing development. We're gonna see how it works out for her after, uh, being invited to leave the MMA lab. Right. Uh, Jacques Array, Kelvin Gastelum, okay. Now you have my attention, sir. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, you know, a, a pretty good women's bantamweight title fight. From a storyline perspective, is the most interesting thing happening here Mackenzie Dern making like a two-month turnaround from her UFC debut, which she won, but like, you know, maybe maybe didn't totally live up to the hype. Uh, going down there to Brazil. Are we doing, or for the UFC, are we doing something here? Are we? Do we have a strategy? Are we getting Mackenzie Dern in front of the Brazilian fans to like... Uh, try to market her as this legacy fighter bringing back the Brazilian jiu-jitsu style. Uh, otherwise, I can't figure out why she's making such a fast turnaround, I guess is the reason I'm asking the question. I'll be interested to see what the Brazilian fans make of Mackenzie Dern. Because, I don't know, you know, she gets a lot of shit for her, like, her her accent. Right. Uh, and then, like, having, like, a translator there with her and everything when we're all like, hey, you're from Arizona. Uh, I'll be interested to see if the Brazilian fans recognize her as one of their own because of the jiu-jitsu lineage. It feels a little bit like when Cain Velasquez was going to lead the charge into Mexico, right? California native Cain Velasquez. Right. but And then did not apparently know enough about it to get there early for Mexico City and its uh, elevation. Uh, I also, though, kind of wonder what's going to happen with Mackenzie. Some of the things I hear out of her, her interviews are a little bit troubling. Like the invited to leave the MMA lab thing is kind of, that's, that's interesting. That makes you raise an eyebrow or two. Uh, and the MMA lab's a really good gym. Uh, but also like her saying like, Hey, you know, I want to be able to take it slow a little bit, enjoy some time off. I don't need to be on the mats every single day. I want to, you know, enjoy my, my time away. And it makes you wonder like, okay, because it feels like in some areas you got some holes to close up as an MMA fighter, and everybody's really excited to see what you could be if you do close them up. But it, does she have that same mindset? It's tough to tell sometimes. Maybe this will tell us. Maybe we'll start to get a uh, an idea. Here. Maybe we will. You want to do? Are you fucking kidding me, Ben? And then we will move on. Sure. In, uh... This week's co-main event podcast. Ben, what is your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, one thing we didn't talk about that went down at Ryzen, you see your boy Darren Crookshank out there winning fights with a head kick. You, did, you didn't see that, huh? I haven't, I haven't caught up with it yet. I can tell by your face you did not see that. Anyway, he goes out there, uh, wins his fight against Kochi Matsumoto with a, a head kick. A really nice head kick. As, you know, they're, they're in close. Matsumoto backs up, and just on the edge of the range there, Darren Crookshank kicks him with a kick. Catches him with a left high kick to the jaw. And then, as soon as he drops and he's down, flips him off. Now, I'm watching this, you know, as it appears on Twitter, and I'm going, are you fucking kidding me, Darren Crookshank? Why are you going to flip the guy off when you just knocked him out? I mean, that seems a little bit over the line. Then, I see on Instagram, Darren Crookshank posting the highlight and saying, some days you get the bear, some days the bear gets you. Today, I got the bear. I don't know why I flipped him off at the end. I regret doing it. 
I have the utmost respect for my opponent, the Japanese people, and the whole Ryzen organization. Uh, and then includes a whole lot of hashtags, including hashtag headkick, hashtag headkick KO. Um, then I have to go, are you fucking kidding me? Now it feels super relatable because it's just like you're in the moment, you do something, and then afterwards you're like, God, why did I do that? Are you fucking kidding me, Darren Crookshake? How are you going to push me away and then win me back over again like that? I feel like I've been on an emotional roller coaster here. Fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Well, Ben, uh, this week my Are You Fucking Kidding Me comes to us from the pages of the MMA Junkie. Your guy, uh, Mike Bon, or as I like to call him, Mike Bone, is out here with his headline. I'm just going to read this to you. Chris Cyborg wants to explore boxing. After completing her UFC contract and then in the lead, Chris Cyborg is interested in taking her talents to the boxing ring after the final two fights of her UFC contract are complete. So I guess this week I'm saying, are you fucking kidding me, Chris Cyborg? Don't we all? Don't we all just want to take our talents to boxing these days? I know I do. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Wouldn't it be weird, Ben, if it turned out MMA was just a weird fad that we had for a couple decades and then we all decided we were just going to go back to boxing? That would be weird. Are you fucking kidding? That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. You had yourself an Invicta card on Friday night. Now, I know you didn't see it because you and I were both busy being pro wrestling promoters, just big timing it up at the sold out Mask Studios Arena in Missoula, Montana. But over there at the Scottish Rite Temple in Kansas City, Missouri, Sarah Kaufman uh, won the main event to claim a vacant uh, bantamweight title. Uh, you also had like, former UFC fighter Pro Gonzalez in action. But I want to ask you this about Invicta right now. Is Invicta, for one thing, turning into the place where you're just like a way station for the UFC? Fighters either on their way out, on the way to the UFC. Because it used to be that the thing that Shannon Knapp could be able to say about Invicta was like, hey, the UFC has a couple weight classes. That's fine. I have like six different women's weight classes. It's not a big deal. But now, the UFC adding more and more women's weight classes. And a follow-up question to that is, if that's what it's turning into, can it survive that way? Can it? Is that just a a function we need some promotion to serve as in, in the MMA landscape. And can you keep doing it just on Fight Pass the way Invicta has been doing it? Because especially with all the rumors about the UFC's potential new TV deal, if next thing you know, the UFC ends up running a bunch of events on ESPN+, and if maybe there's not the same attitude toward Fight Pass in general, it could change the game a little bit for people like Invicta. For promotions like Invicta, yeah, it feels like Invicta has found itself a kind in kind of a strange place uh, all of the sudden. Because you know, for a long time, and I think you make the good point here, uh, it felt almost like Invicta FC was sort of on the verge of being a third major promotion, like a mid-major promotion, if you will, because uh, they had a lot of the top female fighters, a lot of the best female fighters in the world, and they had all the weight classes, as as you said. It felt like. Uh, you could still go to Invicta and see world-class level, high-level MMA. Uh, and I think that people really appreciated that. Invicta had some momentum. It had some fire. People were super into it. I think to a certain extent, people still are uh, super into it. But I think it's obviously kind of suffered a little bit from graduating a lot of its top-tier talent to the UFC. Uh, and also, as you said, maybe uh, suffered a little bit from the from Fight Pass losing a little bit of momentum, t- taking a little bit more of a backseat in terms of uh, of promotion and and uh, all that stuff, public relations. Uh, because this Invicta 29, you know, you as you said, you got a couple of UFC vets here. You got Sarah Kaufman, who everybody knows and likes. You got Pearl Gonzalez, who seemed like a person uh, who ha- had a lot of potential when she first showed up in the in the UFC, and like a person that it makes sense to continue to track. Uh, you had a gr- very grisly injury. Right to get you some uh, some headlines. I don't even like to think about it. But at the same time, didn't it feel a little bit like this Invicta event was a little bit under the radar? And didn't it feel like uh, maybe in the past an Invicta event like this would have would have been a little bit higher profile? Or am I just imagining that? Yeah, I guess. See, that's I guess what I'm wondering here when it comes to like where Invicta stands in the landscape in general, because it seems like 
at this point, you're 29 events in. This is Invicta 29. You know, you're, you've obviously got some staying power. You know, you're not one of those ones that popped up and then disappeared. And honestly, I think a lot of people did not expect Invicta to make it this far. Uh, and yet, now it does seem like one of the symptoms, really, of Invicta's success is that the UFC has just taken more on more and more female fighters and decided that that is a, a more viable approach, which, like, it's kind of a a shitty situation to find yourself in, where, like, you prove that this could be done, and then the UFC says, hey, that's a good idea, we'll have some of that, and then they just keep taking from you, and so then it makes it harder and harder for you to keep doing it. Right, which which is a a big time compliment to Invicta. There are a lot of good people over at Invicta making good things happen. Shannon Knapp has done a good job. Uh, friend of the podcast, Julie Kedzie, obviously, uh, over there on the broadcast team. Uh, not sure if she's still the matchmaker. I don't no, know, I don't, I don't know that so. she's still doing that uh, since she's getting her master's degree at the University of Iowa. But uh, you know, there are good people doing good things in Invicta, and and for a while it felt like it was really trending up, and it. You know, it, it is kind of a backhanded compliment or like not the kind of compliment you don't want to get that you've been so good and so successful that a bigger, uh, you know, arguably competitor slash partner comes in and basically takes all, all the best stuff that you have. And it's interesting, Ben, it's like it, uh, Invicta is sort of a victim of its own success in a way because they have this partnership with the UFC. They have this uh, deal to be on Fight Pass, which at first seemed like a great spot for Invicta. Uh, you know, cause where would they get that attention? Where would they get that coverage other than the fightpass.com? But now that, that the future of Fight Pass seems a little bit murky, now that the UFC is expanding its own, uh, women's MMA offerings and, and as we said, taking a lot of Invicta FC's, uh, best, best people and, and, you know, best draws, uh, it does feel like either the future is limited for Invicta in terms of success or it's hard to imagine, uh, you know, what the promotion will do, especially if the UFC only continues to uh, to pad its own programming with, with more and more women's MMA. Yeah, I mean, I guess one thing maybe you have going for you if you're Invicta is people can sign with you and probably think to themselves, all right, well, here's my springboard into the UFC, and whenever the UFC wants me, they'll just kind of come and ask, and then that'll be that, and then I'll I'll just make that jump pretty easily. And it, But it, then it leaves Invicta basically doing all the the talent scouting and the kind of building up uh and then when somebody gets popular enough then you're just going to have to hand them off to the UFC except for somebody you know then you, you have some fighters where it seems like like Pearl Gonzalez or Sarah Kaufman who who were in the UFC and they get bounced out then then you get them back for a little while i mean is that like a viable model i don't know i like i am honestly surprised at, at how how well Invicta does with how little it kind of has to work with. Yeah. Like, it keeps surprising me in that regard. Well, what could you do at this point if you're Invicta? Like, let's say let's say Ben Folks gets hired as Invicta FC president. Could you, would you I want... I did not apply. I did not put in an app. So it's okay. We just hired you. Uh, did you, would you stay on Fight Pass? Would you try to get out of that deal? Would you try to go somewhere else? Would you, would it be better to be on... Uh, on on access TV, would it better to be somewhere else, or does like Invicta have the best spot that it can have, and is still in kind of a damned if it does, damned if it doesn't situation? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where you would go. It's TV wise. It seems like maybe Fight Pass, especially if you're Invicta. I feel like you're catering to a more hardcore audience than if you were just like a regional MMA promotion. Uh, it seems like Fight Pass. You're the people who are going to find you on Fight Pass are really going to be into it. Like they're going to appreciate your product a little more, uh, but I I would worry right now if I if Fight Pass was my conduit to MMA fans, I would worry a little bit about where that's going. Right, if that goes away, where where does that leave Invicta? Like if if this UFC or ESPN Plus thing, as you mentioned, does indeed happen, and ESPN is not like bound to take on all of the Fight Pass programming, which you don't think they would be, then what? That could leave you in a in a real sticky situation. I still am going to be super pissed if I have to get ESPN Plus. I'm going to be mad about that. I'm, ben, I'm warning you right now. Ben, so there's some breaking news out here once again from Mike Bond. Chad Mendez will return to the Octagon at UFC Boise on July 14th to take on Miles Jury. The Fury Miles Jury. Is this starting to seem more like a road trip to you or uh, or no? How far away would drive this boy? Was that like well, Boise, 10 hours? It's a long way. 
It's a long way mostly because of uh, how the roads go. Like as the crow flies, it's it's, yeah, it's shorter. Not that far. But if you take the interstate, you have to make this big kind of like fish hook shape to get down there to Boise. I might need a, another addition to the car before I start to think about that. Right, we'll, we'll wait. We'll see what else Mike Bone can turn up. Okay. Get on it, Mike. Uh, as for right now, though, we're going to move on to round number three. Then this Saturday, Bellator 199, we're going to take the final step during the first round of the Bellator MMA Heavyweight Grand Prix Tournament, as your main event here is Ryan Bader, the light heavyweight champion, putting legacy on the line to move up to heavyweight. He's going to fight, uh, let's say, fellow light heavyweight slash middleweight. Money weight. Uh, money weight. King Mo. Uh, in the opening, the final fight of the opening round of the Bellator Grand Prix. Ben, if you're sitting at home and you are not a mixed martial arts journalist, I'm going to flip this question back on you since you asked me earlier about UFC 224. Which do you choose? Let's say you got a hankering for the fights. Would you buy UFC 224 and watch that? Or would you watch for free on the Paramount Network, Bellator 199? In this economy? You know, honestly, I'd probably watch Bellator 199. Just because, well, I do feel like UFC 224 as a whole is a pretty good product. If you also are telling me, but you could just save 60 bucks and uh, watch some pretty decent fighting anyway. Yeah, that might be a compelling argument for me. Plus, I like at this point, I feel weirdly emotionally invested in this tournament. Like, I, I do actually care about yeah. this tournament, and I kind of hate myself for it, but I do. Okay, two questions, though. Uh, let's do the first one first. Is that a problem for the UFC? That, like, you are basically now offering this product on pay television that I'm not going to say it's interchangeable with what Bellator has for free on Paramount, but, like, I could see the case for watching either of these. Yeah. And well, the case for watching UFC 224 is you rich. Yes, right? Yes. And if you're not rich, well, maybe you just watch Bellator. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I don't know, especially when I think about like a fight like this, like the Ryan Bader-King Mo fight, I could see a lot of ways for that to be a sucky fight. But I could also see some ways where it could be just weird enough to be awesome. And the winner here goes on to face Matt Mitrione. Isn't that right? I believe so. That's the We're over on the right side which, of the bracket. Yeah, which is just kind of crazy when you think about the, one of these two guys going on to face Mitrione's big ass. But, uh, I mean, I'm still into it. Then you got the John Fitch Paul Daly fight. Okay, I mean, I you don't have to go that hard, especially to convince me to save sixty bucks. Like that—that's the part where you really get me. I don't know if that's a big problem for the UFC because it's—it's it's not going to come up all that often. Like Bellator does not have the roster to be able to do this that often, uh, and you know some of the US, especially upcoming UFC pay per views are a little bit stronger, so the dynamic is going to change a little bit. But in this particular weekend. Yeah, sure. You, you got yourselves an actual contest. Okay, well, here's sec question number two. A couple weeks ago, we had Fedor Emelianenko versus Frank Mir, and that fight card ran unopposed. There was no UFC event that weekend. Uh, the ratings were okay. They weren't a home run. They weren't a grand slam home run. I don't have them in front of me. I don't know what they were. It was like high 700,000, right. basically. They, they, were, they were fine. They were workable, let's say. Uh, is that a problem for Bellator? Because I don't know what you attribute that to. You're the only MMA on TV. Well, you're up against NBA and NHL playoffs, and there was a lot of boxing on TV that sure. night, too. Is that what it is? Or did it feel like oh, okay. MMA people were like, let's take this weekend off. Like, we get a rare weekend off. Let's go do something else. Well, I guess there's no way to know, but... When you compare it to how Bellator's ratings have been throughout this year, it was the second... Most highest, second highest rated uh, Bellator event of 2018. The the top one right now, I believe, is the Chael Sonnen Rampage Jackson tournament bout card, like in January. 
uh, and then you had this one in second place, and then a lot of the other ones, you know, where it's like where you had Benson Henderson or, or Michael Chandler on the card, those are way down in like the four hundred thousand range. So it's like those cards are doing well comparatively, but. If you're Bellator, you might start to worry, wait a minute, is our new baseline just way down there? Uh, is it Because it used to be where you put together a big Bellator card and then think, okay, we're going to crack a million here. Uh, and now you have some of these, like some of the bigger events that are possible for you and you're not getting there. I don't I mean, then again, if you're Bellator, maybe you look over at the UFC and go, their ratings are down too. Right. You know, it's maybe it's an industry-wide trend. It's not anything wrong that we're doing. Yeah. And I mean, there, there's, it's, the industry feels like it's down. It feels like the UFC is taking up a lot of space, uh, taking up a lot of the, the oxygen in the room. That's hard to, uh, you know, focus on anything else. And when there's no UFC event and just a Bellator event, I do feel like maybe it's, it's attractive to take that weekend off and, and not sit in front of the TV and watch mixed martial arts. Uh, and Bellator is also, as we have said time and time again, going out there and, and using aging stars to pop the ratings. And it could just be that, you know, guys like Frank Mir and, and Fedor Emelianenko aren't that interesting to anyone besides the hardest of the hardcores any, anymore. Ryan Bader, Mo Lawal, though. Well, that's interesting because, like, you, you know, on paper, you wouldn't expect Ryan Bader versus King Mo to be in the same ballpark ratings-wise as Mir versus Emelianenko, right? So it'll be interesting to see what number this does. Because like if this does, if this does a really poor number, then I think you need to answer all of those questions that we just asked. If this, for whatever reason, does a little bit better than expected, then I think you've got a situation where if you're Bellator, you need to to wonder if it's a good idea to try to piggyback off these weak UFC pay-per-view cards in the hopes that people will at the last minute decide to just watch your free thing. Who you got in this fight? It's got to be Bader, right? Like King Mo is two and two in his last four fights. He just beat Rampage Jackson at Bellator 175 in his last fight. Uh, he's got that loss to Crow Cop still staring us all in the face from December uh, 29th of 2016. And prior to that, he beat uh, Satoshi Ishii and then lost to Phil Davis before that. Uh, so it's hard to know really exactly what uh, the 37-year-old King Mo has left in the tank. I did notice, uh, as he is apt to do, Ben, he came out swinging in the press this past week saying that uh, he doesn't think Ryan Bader likes to fight anymore. He says, I don't think he has the dog in him. I've got the dog in me. I love training. I love fighting. I don't think he likes to. I think he's just doing it because it's what's in. And I heard he's making some money and he's got a nice family. Huh? That's so, I mean, he's the champion. He so. is the Bellator light heavyweight champion, Ryan Bader. Now, I was surprised. I went and looked at the odds. Have you seen the odds for this one? I have not. Uh, Ryan Bader going off a little better than a 3-1 to one favorite. Yeah. So odds makers really like Ryan Bader here. I mean, I think that makes sense, though. Like, Bader's been kind of uh, at the top of, of the heap since he came to Bellator. And like I just said, King Mo has scuffled a little bit in his last four fights. Uh, he's going to be taking on a bigger guy, a guy who also comes from a wrestling background. Uh King Mo could win this, but it's hard to it's hard for me not to picture Bader winding up in that second round against Matt Mitrione. Where if you ask me, things arguably get very interesting. Like Matt Mitrione against Ryan Bader, I'm fully comfortable saying that is a hashtag would watch fight. Yes, hundred percent, absolutely. And the winner of that wins the tournament, it, or right. he would if not for like the inevitable weirdness that will happen when he is hit by like a, a light falling from the truss and then Mirko Krokop has to jump in as an alternate and win the whole damn show. Now you mentioned that you are in fact weirdly emotionally invested in the Bellator heavyweight tournament and I would say that I am also, but I don't think we're telling anybody anything that they don't already know that uh, much of the interest here is just in sort of a WTF kind of way. Like, you know, what on earth will happen when Fedor Emelianenko fights Chael Sonnen? There's an oddity factor to that. Uh, here you but have... The oddity factor has served Bellator well. It has served Bellator well. I would say, though, that like this fight and whatever happens in the semifinals on this side of the bracket are the most defensible MMA fights, right? King Mo against Ryan Bader, legitimate light heavyweight matchup, even if King Mo is not necessarily uh, fitting the bill as a number one contender for the title. At least it's a legitimate matchup between two guys who are still uh, arguably in their in their prime as athletes. The winner of this fight then fights Matt Mitrione in a obvious like weight mix and match situation, but if it indeed is Ryan Bader going up to heavyweight to fight Matt Mitrione, 
I think you can make the case that from a pure MMA standpoint, that might be the best fight in the whole tournament. Now, I really, I think this high praise that you heaped upon belt, this should be on the fight poster, a totally defensible fight. <laughs> they should put that on there, like, defensible, says Chad Dundas. Right. Well, it, it's, this one's not trading on uh, on the oddity, like on the uh, this like weird, like almost circus attraction. This is two guys in the same weight class fighting without a weight limit, essentially. Chad Dundas hails this matchup as defensible. I like it. I mean, if you want a blurb, you can go ahead and use that one. Should we move on to Just Saying Stuff? Yeah, let's do Just Saying Stuff because we got to, uh, you know, this doesn't happen that often on the Co-Main Event Podcast. You would think maybe it would happen more often than it does, but you and I showed up with the same Just Saying Stuff. Yeah, didn't talk about it beforehand until we both revealed that we had the same thing in mind. This week. So this week we have a joint Just Saying Stuff. Ben, what is it? Chad, I'm just going to read to you a headline, another Mike Bond joint from MMA This Junkie. is like the Mike Bond episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. Yes. It's going to say, when the credits roll at the end, it'll say, and introducing Mike Bond as himself. <laughs> uh, headline, Mike Perry moves to Jackson Wink MMA for a portion of UFC 226 training camp. Ooh. I'm just saying, Chad... We need full coverage of this. We need cameras in the gym 24 hours a day. We need updates every single day. We need to know what kind of weird shit Mike Perry is doing there. I need to know about it when he and John Jones have a conversation about whether John Jones has ever gotten real close in the mirror to try to look inside the vessel to see the pilot. I need to also know how John Jones feels about uh, Mike Perry's tendency to make videos of himself rapping to Lil Wayne and not leaving any of the words out, including the N-word. I need to know a lot about how that dynamic is shaping up uh, because, man, this shit is just begging for a reality show. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, there's a couple different ways you could go with this over on the FightPass.com because if you're not putting Mike Perry at Jackson Wink on FightPass, shut it down. Yeah, you're, you're missing, what are we even doing? We're, we're throwing slow balls right down the middle here. These ones, <laughs> we should be cranking this out of the park. I say you, you could either just have a stream going 24 hours a day uh, yeah. where let's say I wake up in the middle of the night. I'm holding a screaming baby. I'm waiting for him to go to sleep. I can go to the fight pass and click on it and I can see what Mike Perry's doing. Yeah. Right. The other thing I think you could do. Let me lay this on you, Ben. A, a talk show hosted by Greg Jackson. Okay. Featuring. In the Ed McMahon role, Mike Perry, right? Oh, okay. So, like, guests will come on. Greg Jackson interviews them. Mike Perry's sitting down there at the other end of the couch just inserting himself yeah, when, just, the, when the need arises. Just throwing out non-sequiturs as Greg Jackson tries to interview, like, a scientist or something. Would watch either of those things. Yeah, would watch. Just saying. That's going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event Podcast. We'll be back next week to tell you about all the stuff that happens on what is an action-packed week of fighting in the mixed martial arts world. And then we will also look away, look ahead to Fight Night 129 from Santiago, Chile, featuring Damian Maya versus Kamar Usman, which Ben says he's super excited for. Super excited. Uh, you also got Alexis Grasso returning on that, on that fight card, so there will be stuff to talk about. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. So how do you think the Earth got scorched? The Cloudfall, dude. It's in the... It's in the uh, the trailer. You think the Cloudfall is responsible for scorching the Earth in the first place? I thought the Cloudfall was a symptom of the scorched Earth. The Cloudfall, I believe it says in the trailer, is responsible for the demise of human society in scorched Earth. And That's have, why I'm so scared for the Cloudfall. I have a lot of questions about how the Cloudfall originated. Well, if, you, if you're lucky, maybe scorched Earth will explain that. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's a given. It's only got 96 minutes to work with. I think we're going to get that. Definitely going to get that. Oh, the other thing we should mention about sports church is like its its vision of the future is kind of like a wild right? Yeah, it's sort of like.